Hey everybody, thanks for checking out the Glendale Road Church of Christ podcast. You're welcome to join us anytime you're around. We are at 1101 Glendale Road in Murray, Kentucky. We meet for worship every Sunday morning at 9 a.m., followed by our Bible study at 10 a.m., and we come back every Sunday evening for a bonus worship hour at 6 p.m. Also, every midweek on Wednesday at 7 p.m., we have a Bible study. You'd be welcome to join us. We'll be sure to save a seat for you. Now, here's this week's sermon. This morning's scripture reading is from 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 20. If you'd like to follow along, it's page 1862 in the Pew Bible. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, They are again entangled in them and overcome. The latter end is worse for them than the beginning. God is good all the time. Welcome to you, especially our visitors. Glad to have you with us. One of the benefits of preaching through a book of the Bible is that when you get to a certain passage or scripture, I didn't just pick it so that I can pick on somebody, but it's there. So we're going to go through it and and, uh, address it. I will say that uh, the notion of backsliding is always something that's very concerning, mainly because you see people become Christians, and in becoming Christians, you have the biggest hopes for them. And many of them do well, and they engage, they plug in, and, and they're faithful to the Lord, but there are always those that don't. And then there are some that are so devoted and so faithful And for whatever the reason is, life circumstances or choices, they begin to put space between them and God. There was a story of a preacher who went to visit one of the members that hadn't been at church for a while. It was in the dead of winter, and so he gets there and knocks on the door, and the the brother opens, and he knows why the preacher's there, you know. So he invites him in, asks him if he wants a cup of coffee, and he does. So they sit down, and uh, while they're seated, they're sitting right in front of the fireplace. And every so often, this brother will take his, his point, he'll just stoke the coals and the wood and everything. And, you know, they have some casual conversation. The preacher says, look, I, you know why I'm here. You've not been to church in however long. It's been a while. Is everything Okay. He said, yeah, I just figure that you don't have to go to church to be close to God. Have you heard that before? So the preacher, he says, can I have your poker there? And he grabs that poker and he takes one of the coals and he pulls it away from the fire. And he watches that one coal and he says, I want you to watch this. Of course, he knows what's going to happen. So that that bright, hot coal eventually, because it's not attached to the rest of the fire, real quickly dimmed and dimmed and was no longer putting off heat. And he turned to him. He said, do you understand? He said, yeah, I think I do. But there are still some who would argue, well, you re- well listen, Jesus gave a good illustration of his relation to his disciples. He said, I am the vine and you are the branches. As branches, if we are attached to the vine, we receive sustenance. 
But when we sever ourselves from the... Oh, well, I haven't severed myself from Jesus. I just don't have anything to do with the church. Isn't that kind of one and the same thing? Can you have Jesus without His church, His assembly, His, his body? And this is how some people think. And I'll tell you, you know, uh, the pandemic gave us... Uh, I'm just sick of the word. I'm sick of mask, shot, vaccine, boost, all these words associated that we have heard over the last three years. Uh, we need to come up with new terms. I'm sick of hearing them. But it's, and, and we got, well, the pandemic. You know, we, at some point, we've got to get over that and quit blaming the pandemic and call things for what they really are. Now, what some people may not know is that after, uh, I would say, a sufficient amount of time went by, we looked at, at the attendance and who hadn't been back. And, and we, the ministers and elders talked about it and we divvied up all the names of the brethren that had not been back for some time after people had the opportunity to be vaccinated, after they had the opportunity to get beyond certain uh, uh, spikes and so forth. And then we would communicate with one another as to what we found. And the majority of it is you had some people that said, well, we're worshiping at this congregation now. That's fine. If you're, with, if you're joining with a body of Christ and worshiping the Lord, great. And I like to say that because sometimes we go, well, we're losing people here because they're going there. Folks, we're still on the same team. It's not competition. We still belong to the Lord. So if it's, well, I'm, I'm worshiping here now, and oh, great, glad to hear it. So, okay, we mark that. And then there are some that they just, well, I'm, I'm just deathly terrified of, of this illness. Understandable. Then there are some, you know, well, health issues are keeping me from getting out in public. Understandable. But then there are some that when we called and talked or stopped by and visit, they say, you know, I'll be honest with you. I need to come back. I got used to watching you on TV. At least they're honest. Does it mean that they've lost their salvation? I'm not ready to go that far, but obviously if uh, brothers and sisters distance themselves from the body, <laughs> I see you laughing back there. You know I'm talking about you, don't you? I'm not going to say a name. She's just giggling up a storm. Oh, boy. But um, I, I will say that somebody told me, uh, uh, Raymond, um, <laughs> I may be fired after that. I'm calling out one of my elders. Uh, Somebody said, Raymond saw the title of the lesson, thought he was going to preach about him because he hadn't been here the past two weeks. Said, well, he was traveling, we know. But, uh, you know, I, I listened to a podcast earlier this week, and I was so, I'm like, this is how I feel as well. It was a panel. These gentlemen were discussing various things, and it had nothing related uh, to this topic. But they went and they said, you know, there's no decline in Mormonism in the, in the United States. There's no decline in Islam in the United States. But there is a decline in Christianity. And he goes on, he says, Christians have become spineless, uncertain, and unwilling to stand up for their beliefs. Meanwhile, Muslims are unafraid to state what they believe and they couldn't care less what anybody else thinks. And so they were talking about it. And he said, the greatest contributor to this for Christians is this whole notion of tolerance. You gotta to tolerate everything. You gotta accept, you gotta embrace everything. He said, you do that and you stand for nothing. 
And according to the Guardian, churches were closing rapidly at the start of this year as congregations dwindled and younger generations abandoned Christianity altogether. Which is, I will say this, I'm very glad to see the numbers that our C20, our college and, and young 20s have. I, th- I think they were like 44 uh, right when the semester started. So it's looking real good. Uh, hopefully it will, it will stay and hopefully it will even grow. But many, as they go on and look at these numbers, in 1972, 92% of Americans said that they were Christian. But by 2020, only 64% said that they are Christian. Since the 90s, many Americans have described themselves as atheist, agnostic, or religiously unaffiliated. And projecting it by this rate, by 2070, the number is expected to be below 50%. Now you look at that and you go, well, that's kind of bad. That's a little negative. You know, it's, it's not news that you like to hear. But here's what I like to see, the positive in the negative, And the positive is this. Those that are Christians mean it. You know, if you look, you go, well, our country is 90-something percent Christian. Anybody can call themselves a Christian. Anybody can say they're there. How many of those percentages live it? That's what matters. Not the number, but the quality, right? Quality over quantity. So some might say as a nation we've backslidden, and if you look at the numbers, things look bleak. And even among churches, even individual Christians, there's always the temptation to backslide. And this is exactly who Peter was writing to. He wasn't writing to lost people who in society live their lives of revelry and sin and lust and all the other things. He's writing to Christians in Asia. And if your Bible's open to 2 Peter 2, let's read verses 20 through 22 together. 2 Peter 2, verses 20 through 22. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The latter end is worse for them than the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. But it's happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit and a sow having washed to her wallowing in the mire. There is a condition, as Peter points out, that, you know, this is the reality. Some people become Christians, they're faithful. And in his context, you have false prophets, you have destructive doctrines, you have deceptions that are taking these Christians from being faithful to the Lord and subscribing to something else, causing them to backslide. And he says, you know, they knew the truth. They knew the gospel. And then they went back on it. He said, it's far worse for them now that they've gone back on it than that they wouldn't, than rather if they had never known it. During World War I, there was a man who became a Christian and uh, he was actually a member of a prominent family. The family, I, I forget, I didn't write it down. But anyway, so he became a Christian, and he's about to go to the front lines, and, and he, after becoming a Christian, he declares to his fellow soldiers, he goes, I am a Christian, Jesus is my Lord. I've made Jesus the Lord of my life. And so he goes away, and, and he fights in the war, and it comes to an end, and he comes back home. And he comes back home to ease. He comes back home to luxury. He come, 
comes back home to live in a very nice community and a very nice house. So he goes to his preacher and he says, I need you to help me because I'm afraid now that I'm out of danger, now that I'm back home, now that I have all these luxuries and amenities, I'm afraid I'm going to go back to being who I was. What do I do? His preacher told him, he said, make your confession of faith public. He said, when you see people that you know and when you come across people that you knew from back when, be sure to confess your faith to them. He said, they will eliminate themselves from your life so that you won't have to eliminate them. So he agrees. He says the first 10 people that he knows that he sees, he's going to tell about his faith. So he had known this lady socially. He ran into her and she was delighted to see him. She said, how are you? He said, the greatest thing that could have ever happened to me has happened. She said, oh, you're engaged. He says, no, it's even better than that. I've taken Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And as the story goes on, her expression froze. She mumbled a few polite words and went on her way. A short time later, he met a young man that he had known before entering the service. Oh, it's good to see you back. We're so glad that you made it. We're, we're going to have some parties now that you've returned. And he replies, I've just become a Christian. So just like that lady, he's thinking, well, there's two. And again, it was a scare uh, rather, a case of a frozen smile, a quick conversation change, and on and on. And after this, the exact circumstances were repeated with a young couple, with two more old friends. And by this time, word had gotten around, and soon some of his friends stopped seeing him because he had become peculiar, religious, and who knows, they might have even called him crazy. What had he done? He did nothing other than confess Christ. I thought, boy, wouldn't that be a good thing for us to do? Could you imagine how people would react if you said, the greatest thing has ever happened to me? Oh, what? You know, they're going to guess, and you go, I'm a Christian. There was a video that was an anniversary of uh, Brother Tommy Carraway. And I won't get the words exactly right. He said, but if you think being a Christian is the grandest thing on earth, How's it finished, Gary? Live every day. Yeah, I should have given you the microphone. As a mouth. Live every day that people that see you can see what you believe. Just go on my Facebook. I shared it like a few days ago. You can see it. It was good to see that video and to, and to hear, hear our brother say that. He's going to be with the Lord, he and his wife. But he was always one that was very, very positive about being a Christian. It is, one of the, it is the greatest thing on earth. Maybe this is something we should do, but you don't want to do it, do you? I know you're thinking, oh, is, he gonna, is this our assignment for the week? You don't want to do it because you're going to go, it's so weird, right? That's what you're thinking. It's so, if I come off like that, people are going to think, let them think it. Because you know everybody else who has an ideology that is not Christian, they parade the thing about and they shove it in your face. So why can't you and I be proud to be a Christian to everybody that we meet? 
We're the weird ones? Come now. Surely you don't believe that. There are a couple of passages in the Bible about backsliding. And if you ever become ashamed to profess your faith in Jesus, maybe you've gotten to the starting point of backsliding. If you're afraid to be weird, if you're afraid to stand out differently or not fit in, maybe the backsliding has already started. There's one passage, though, Galatians 5.4. Paul says, You become estranged from Christ, you who attempt to be justified by the law. You have fallen from grace. There's always this question when you have discussions with people. Can a person fall from grace? Yes. Paul says, here's how. When you try to be justified by the law. Not that big of a problem that we face. I don't know any of us going, hey, I want to keep 613 individual commandments, right? We're like, Jesus gave us two. Love God, love your neighbor. I can do that, even though I don't do it well. I give it my best shot. But when you go to the letter to the Hebrews, listen to what the Hebrew author says. It is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away, to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put Him to an open shame. Those are very strong words. And there's always the discussion of, Can a person lose their salvation? And then someone will say, well, if you can lose it, you never really had it to begin with. Well, who are you to make that judgment? The sincerity of a person's conversion is for them and God. We see what we see, but to question it if they fall away and say, well, they were never really saved to begin with. Why don't you and I quit trying to play God? I don't know where their heart was. And when a person dies, guess what? I don't have to play God. Oh, well, they've gone here or there. Look, Ecclesiastes has a wonderful passage. It says, as the body returns to the dust from whence it was formed, so the spirit returns to God who gave it. Everyone when they die, no matter sinner or saint, are in the care of God. Now, depending on what they did in this life, if they ever profess, whatever God does as far as judgment or as far as as giving them that heavenly home, that's one thing. But everybody, everybody returns to the care of the Lord. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 7, I believe that was. So let's, let's do a little self-examination. Jesus told a parable in Luke chapter 8. And he says, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell by the wayside and it was trampled down. And the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on the rock, and as soon as it sprung up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. Now, if you were to look, this is agricultural. Most of us understand this. You know, you have to have a good plot of ground to plant seed on and expect it to grow. But he says... In verse 8, no, 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 yeah, maybe verse 8. He says that the seed is the word of God. And then he gives the explanation. The parable is this, the seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, Receive the word with joy, and these have no root, 
who believe for a while and in a time of temptation fall away. Now the ones that fell among the thorns are those that when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life, and they bring no fruit to maturity. Now what I didn't include in here was the last, that the sower scattered seeds among good ground, and it took hold, and it produced. That's the one who obeys the gospel, whose life produces fruits as they live in faithfulness to the Lord. But there are so many people who fit into one of these three categories, categories of backsliding. And if you were to honestly look at yourself and and do a self-evaluation, you may be a good person, not saying you're a bad person. You may be a sincere person, not doubting anyone's sincerity. But how you have chosen to live, either to the Lord or to yourself, how your faith is, is it hit or miss or is it constant and steady? Where do you find yourself in this? Now I've got good news. The good news is that though if you may have backslidden, it's not as if all hope is lost. 1 John 1 verse 9 if we confess our sins, he's faithful. And I just lisped it, didn't I? Did you hear that? I sounded like Daffy Duck. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I was talking to my dad last night. He called and, it, you know, when your daddy calls it past 8, because he goes to bed at like 4.30 he, with the chickens. So he called and I'm like, hey, how are you? He's like, hey, boy, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm watching a movie with my wife. He's like, oh, that sounds great. What are you preaching in the morning? Preaching about backsliding. He said, I should probably come to that. <laughs> he said, you know, an old preacher told me one time, he said, no matter how far you've walked away from God, if you'll turn around, he'll be right there. I thought, yeah. So there is a story. Many of us know it well. If you're unfamiliar with it, I'll tell you about it. It is in Luke chapter 15. It's called the story of the prodigal son. Luke 15 verse 11. If you were in 2 Peter, you're going to keep going left. And you will eventually find Luke because Luke is a very long book of the New Testament. Luke chapter 15, beginning with verse 11. Now, Jesus is telling this parable. It is the third of a series of parables. He's already told uh, the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin. But now he, he gets to where it's more on a level that everybody can really, really understand. Then he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. So let's, let's pause for a second. In that culture and in that time, obviously a father would leave inheritances to his children. And this son is asking for his inheritance before his father's passed away. So it's 
it could come off as very disrespectful. It's almost as if he's saying, Dad, I wish you were already dead so I could have my inheritance. That's very likely. But the father willingly does this. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. Now, normally when we tell a story, you know, if I say there's a story about a man, we, we automatically assume that we're talking about someone who's like us. So as Jesus is telling this story to a Jewish audience, they are envisioning a Jewish family. And first of all, they are noting the disrespect of the son. Secondly, they're noting how sinful he's living and how he has chosen not to honor God, not to honor his mother and his father. And now he has joined himself to a non-Jew, a Gentile, which was a no-no. And what was even more a no-no is swine were unclean animals. And now you're tending to them? And you've gotten so low that you would even eat what they're eating? I don't know if y'all are aware, pigs are nasty. You ever been by a pig farm? You ever notice they're never in plush forests? They're always in mud. And they stink. As my grandmother would say, to high heaven, they stink to high heaven. So when you've gotten to such a low spot that you're willing to eat what they eat, that's pretty bad. Verse 17, but when he came to himself... He said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and despair and I perish with hunger? So now he's thinking about what he used to have. Sometimes you never know what you had until it's gone. And that's a terrible way to discover just how great what you had was. I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. I've often wanted to ask, you know, if, if, if this son knew that his father was a shrewd, vindictive man, he probably wouldn't have even thought to go back to his father. He'd have probably said, you know what, I've burned a bridge that I can never rebuild. My dad is this kind of man and if I go back, I, it's not going to be pretty. But this guy, he says, you know, I'm going to go to my father and I'm going to say. He has a bit of hope that his father's going to hear him out. That his father loves him and will be patient, maybe even forgiving with him. He doesn't even want to be restored to being a son. He said, I would be happy just to be one of the servants. Had a conversation some time ago and someone was saying, are there, you know, levels of heaven, you know, because some people believe that. I said, I don't believe that there are. I said, but if there are, I'd be content in the boiler room. To be in heaven with the Lord is to be in heaven with the Lord. I don't necessarily believe in these degrees per se, but some people do. But this son, 
he could be to the degree of, his, of a son. He said, but you know, if, if I can just be made like a hired servant, that's good enough. Verse 20, and he arose and he came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Now, remember, this guy has been in the mire with the pigs. He probably stinks. He's undoubtedly dirty. His hair and his beard are all just maybe stuck together because of the mud from the from the, uh, uh, the pig area. I forgot what it's called. It, you know what it is. Uh, look, everybody's whispering. You think I can hear you? I already have hearing problems, <laughs> but thank you for trying to help. Now, for a father to run, it, it, was, it, was, uh, it was indecent for an elder man to run. It was not dignified. So, but his father runs. He breaks a, a, a protocol and he totally runs to his son. He falls on his neck and he kisses him. And the son said to him, remember, this is the speech he rehearsed. Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Stop. The father speaks at this point. Bring out the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. He doesn't get to finish his speech. His father is just so glad to have him back. We're going to celebrate. We're going to clean you up. We'll go back to the way it was. If you've backslidden, this is the father you return to. The father who doesn't care what is dignified or not, but will run to you. The father, no matter how dirty or what the stench may be, will fall on your neck and kiss you. No matter what you want to do to get his forgiveness, if you say, I'll serve my time out, he says, no, no, no. I'm bringing you back as a child. But I do want to add a caveat. There's a radical distinction between Regret and God-given repentance. The flesh can feel remorse. We can acknowledge evil deeds. We can be ashamed. But just having discussed with our past actions, that can quickly be shrugged off. And we can soon return to our wicked ways. So the marks of true repentance are found in the behavior of the son who got to the point that he did who saw how miserable he was, returned to a father that is so loving and great, not expecting what the father gave him, but gladly receiving it because he has loved that much. So to the backsliders, if you think I can never come back, I'm going to tell you, you couldn't be more wrong. You can and you should because your father is waiting. He's watching and all he wants to do is embrace and give forgiveness. To my brothers and sisters in Christ, if you've backslidden, this invitation is for you. Come to the Father as we stand and sing together.